All right, well, good morning. Good to see you guys this morning here. Uh, we are continuing our series in the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, we are in John chapter 4 this morning. John chapter 4. We're, we're in this series captivated by Jesus. And, and really, we're, we're looking at John through the lens of us being captivated by him because if we're not captivated by Jesus, then we're not going to really live as disciples of Jesus. We're not truly going to follow Jesus if we're not captivated by him. Right? I could tell you to go out and do whatever it is that, that God's word says for you to do. But unless you are captivated by Jesus, unless you have a relationship with him, you're not going to really want to go and do it. And the gospel of John is a, a come and see gospel. Presents to us who Jesus is. John is saying, come and see the King. Come and see the Messiah. And that's what we're looking at as we walk through the Gospel of John. We made our way to, to chapter 4 and we're answering the question this morning, how can our deepest longing be satisfied? How can our deepest longing be satisfied? Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll dive in. We're going to be looking at a you know, pretty lengthy uh, portion of Scripture, so I won't read all of that prior to us diving into the text and we'll read it as we go through. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll dive into the message this morning. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together as the church, to open your word, to learn from it, God. As Weldon prayed earlier, this is the bread of life. And God, we ask that you would feed us this morning from it as we dig into it. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, do you ever just get those cravings, you know, th those intense cravings for, for a certain food? For me, it's sweets. I've got a real sweet tooth, and, and one of the, the sweets that I really like is ice cream. Ice cream with brownies or pie or chocolate cake or, or really ice cream with, with anything. I love ice cream. I just can't get enough of it. When Jen and I go on a date, and we're going to order dessert, and, and there's ice cream on the menu with something, uh, you know, the argument is already over. There is none, right? I mean, this is, this is where we're going. Sometimes we have to get two desserts because I really want the one with ice cream. I'm just really attracted to it. Now, ice cream, you know, is not really that great for you, right? It's not that good for me. There's a lot of fat, there's a lot of calories. There's a lot of sugar in ice cream. It's not good for your physique. It's not good for your waistline. It's not good for your health. And so for that reason, uh, you know, I asked Jen, I'm like, hey, just don't buy ice cream all that often because when we have ice cream in the house, my self-control goes out of the window. But when it's not there and I go to the freezer and I open it up and I look in and, and I don't see it, I'm like, okay, it's not there. Good. I don't have to have to eat it tonight. But every now and again, you know, she will buy some ice cream. And when she does, she'll typically make some baked good to go with it, some cookies or brownies or, or something like that. And that, you know, it's, it's over for me, right? Like the craving kicks in and I go and, and I get a, a, a bowl and, and, you know, really not a bowl. I go in and get a mug. And, and you know, you, you get those mugs and you think, I'm going to get the small mug and it's going to limit, limit the portion that I'm going to get. Well, we all know that we have those other mugs in the house that, that are not the small mugs, but are the large mugs that are just great ice cream bowls. And, and so that, that's what I'll go for. And I'll inevitably just put the brownie in there or cookie in there and put the ice cream on top and I'll eat that. And like, man, my craving is somewhat satisfied at the end. Uh, and then I'm like, oh, it's so good. I need to go back for seconds. 
And, and you know, you get a little bit less the second time so you don't feel as bad. Uh, that's, that's what I'll do, just a little bit less. And I'll eat that and, and it's great. But then five minutes later, I'm laying on the couch with a stomach ache, right? And, and past experience tells me this, but I still go back for that second bowl. Why is that? Why do we keep going back for more? Well, it's because we have a craving that needs to be satisfied. Let me show you what I mean. In John chapter 4, Jesus, he has uh, moved from <coughs> Jerusalem where he had this conversation with Nicodemus to the Judean countryside at the end of John chapter 3. And there's some things that happen there at the end of John chapter 3. And, and now he's going to move from the Judean countryside up to Galilee. And in order to get to Galilee, he has to go through Samaria. And he finds himself here at a well in Samaria and at this town called by the name of, of Sychar. And we learn in verse 6 that Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside this well, and it was about the sixth hour. And so the sixth hour is noon, in case you didn't, you didn't know that. The sixth hour is noon. This is how they would count time in Jesus' day. And we learn in verse 7 that a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And, and we might not think a whole lot about this, right? I mean, Jesus has been on this journey. He's obviously tired. He's thirsty. He finds himself at a well. He doesn't have anything to draw water with. But, but conveniently, here comes this woman. And he asks her for a drink. And we may not think anything about this, but this woman certainly thinks a whole lot about this. Look at verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then John puts here in parentheses for us, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And so this woman is surprised. And the reason that this woman is surprised is because there's this history of hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans. And the reason this hostility existed goes back a long way. When the Assyrians came and they took, they took the northern kingdom away, they took them out of the land of Samaria, they brought in these, their own people and they planted them in that land. And those people came with idols that they worshipped, other gods. Eventually, they added Yahweh, who is Israel's God, to the list of idols that they were worshiping. And then, then eventually, they came to see that Yahweh was the one true God. And so they, they put away their idols, and they began to worship him alone. But they had some peculiar practices that kind of drove a little bit of a wedge between the, the southern kingdom and, and Samaria. Not only that, but, but they only believed that Scripture was the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. They didn't recognize the rest of the history books or the wisdom books or the, or the prophets as scripture. They just looked to the first five books of the Bible and drove another wedge between them. But that's not the only thing. When, when the Jews returned from exile in Babylon, and we, we talked about this recently in the book of Jeremiah, where they were sent off in exile and they, they now return and then they're going to rebuild the temple and the Samaritans come and they say, we will help you do that. And they, they refused their offer. Drove another wedge between them. And even though the Samaritans worship Yahweh, they, they believe that the true place to worship was on Mount Gerizim and not in Jerusalem. And so they wouldn't go to the temple in Jerusalem to worship God. And then to make matters even worse, the Jerusalemites came, the, the Judeans came, and they actually burned down the temple on Mount Gerizim in 128 BC. There was no reconciliation that took place. 
And there's this constant friction all the way up to Jesus' day. The Jews hated the Samaritans so much that when they needed to travel from the southern kingdom up to, up to Galilee, they, they would literally take a longer route around Samaria so they didn't have to set foot in the land. But here's Jesus. He's, he's chosen the shorter route. He says, I'm going to go through Samaria. He's at a well in Sychar, and he asked the Samaritan woman for a drink. And he doesn't have any utensils by which to draw water, which means he's going to have to drink from her cup. And not only is this woman a Samaritan woman, but this woman is a shamed woman. Women typically would not come at noon, the hottest part of the day, to draw water from the well. They would come in the evening. This woman is not coming in the evening. She's coming in noon to avoid her peers, to avoid the other women that were coming, which clues us into the fact that she wasn't accepted by her peers, that there was something wrong with her, that she was broken, that she was imperfect, that she was shamed, that she was an outcast. But Jesus doesn't allow her race. Jesus doesn't allow her, her shame, her imperfections, her guilt to stop him. Instead, Jesus is at the well. This woman comes and he begins to engage her. Knowing all that, it's no wonder that this woman is shocked. It's no wonder this woman says in verse 9, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Many of you might be in this woman's same boat this morning. You're carrying shame. You're, you're carrying some guilt. You think that, that God could never love you because of your imperfections, but you hear that God is a God of mercy. You hear that God is a God of grace. You hear that God is a God of love, and so you're here to see, will God love me? Will he accept me? Well, let me ease your mind. You are in good company. There are no perfect people in this world. There are no perfect people in the church. Every one of us is broken. It's just that some of us are willing to admit it. Some of us are willing to admit that we are broken, that we have been shamed, that we are guilty, that we are imperfect. And those of you who would sit there and say, you know, that's, that's not me. I'm not broken. I'm not imperfect. I'm not guilty. Well, that's pride talking. Those of you who would say, you have, to, you have to be like me in order to be a Christian, that's, that's pride talking. Those of you who would say, you've got to dress a certain way to come into the church or be a Christian, well, that's pride talking. You see, no one is perfect. Deep down, we all know that. God knows it. Jesus knows that. He knows that about you. He knows that about this woman at the well. But that does not stop Jesus from engaging her. But here's the thing, Jesus doesn't just want his physical thirst quenched. He engages her because he sought to quench her spiritual thirst. Look at the text in verse 10. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You see, we all have a need. We have a spiritual need. We have this need whether we would admit it or not. You're not happy you're thirsty. And the more you drink of the things that you thought were going to quench your thirst, the thirstier you get. Now, this illustration is not original to me. It comes from a sermon that I was reading recently. And, and, and the pastor is recounting this scene from a novel that he had read by Sinclair Lewis. And, and in the novel, there's this businessman. And this businessman, he has it all. He's got a great business. He's got a great family. He's got reputation in the community. But he meets this woman. And he runs off with her. He leaves his family. He leaves all of that. And this woman has the same. This woman has a great family. 
This woman has a great reputation in the community, but she meets this man, and she runs off with him as well. And at one point in the novel, she says to him, on the surface, we seem quite different, but deep down, we are fundamentally the same. We are both desperately unhappy about something, and we don't know what it is. See, it's their need for happiness that that brought them together. And they don't even know what it is that that they need, but but they know that they need something. And so they're running towards each other, hoping that they're going to find that something in that relationship. We all have these desires. We all have cravings that need to be satisfied. We have a thirst for purpose. I don't know anybody who would say, you know what, I don't need any purpose in life at all. We all have a need for purpose. And if we don't have purpose, then we feel like we're an accident. And so, and so what do we do? Well, we seek purpose in a number of things. We seek purpose in our work, in our family, in our career, and in sports, in community involvement. In a number of things, we seek purpose. But, but what happens when things in your family aren't going well? What happens if you get fired? What happens if your career doesn't take off like, like you wanted it to do? What happens if you get injured and you can't play the sport any longer? Or, or maybe you age out and you can't play anymore? What happens when grades are super important to you and you end up failing? Or, or you get edged out on the last test to be at the top of your class? What happens then when our sense of purpose is lost? And when our sense of purpose is lost, one of two things is going to occur. We're either going to fall into a depression and despair, or we're going to seek purpose in something else, something else that is going to to let us down. You see, we need purpose. We must have purpose, but we need purpose that will last. Purpose is not going to let us down. And apart from purpose, we all have a need for love. We have a thirst for love. We want, we need other people who are going to, who are going to love us back. We are, we are at our core codependent. This is why it can be heartbreaking when others don't love us back. This is why we have parents and we have these, these categories that are ter- termed helicopter parents, where they just can't, they can't get away from their kids. They're, they're always hovering over them. They have a need for them. They can't let them go. This is why when, when relationships end, we're devastated. We have a thirst for love. And we also have a thirst for a clear conscience. You see, deep down inside, we know that we owe a debt. Even the most diehard atheist knows this. When I lived in Savannah, there was a family that I was good friends with, and, and they were moving from in town out to the beach and, and offered to help them move. And, and there were other people who were going to be helping them move as well. And there was this one guy, we were, we were riding in the car together, and, and we, were, we were riding from in town out, out to the beach. And he made this, this big point about the fact that, that he likes to help people. And this guy was, was a professed atheist. He had already let me know that he was an atheist when, we, when he showed up, uh, gung-ho about it. He says, you know, I really like to help people. And, and you know, this, this isn't the only family that I've helped move this month. I helped a couple other families move this month as well. And I've got a, got a few more lined up in the coming months already. He made this huge deal about how he needed to help people. You see what he's doing? He's trying to pay this debt that he knows that is there. Certainly he wouldn't admit that he had a debt. Certainly he wouldn't admit that he has this eternal debt to a creator. But he knows there's something there. Something that's eating at him and he's trying to ease his conscience through good works. You see, we feel the guilt 
We know that it's real, but, but the works that we do, they're, they're, not gonna, they're not gonna ease the guilt. They're not gonna pay the price for that guilt. We all thirst for something. At our core, we all thirst for purpose. We thirst for love. We thirst for a clear conscience. We all have cravings that need to be satisfied. But here's the thing. Our longing cannot be satisfied by that which is physical. We have a spiritual need. Look at the text starting in verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. He's offered her living water. You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it, as did his sons and his livestock. You see what she's trying to do? She's trying to, she's trying to keep this in the physical. Jesus has offered to meet her spiritual need. He's beginning to press in that direction, and she keeps it in the physical. But Jesus said to her, verse 13, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see, our longings can't be satisfied by that which is physical. Deep down, we have this spiritual need, and there's only one who can satisfy it. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy our spiritual need. Only in Jesus are we going to experience true purpose, true love, and a clear conscience. Only in Jesus are our deepest longings going to be satisfied, not just momentarily, but for all of eternity. Only in Jesus is that going to happen. Notice he offers her here eternal satisfaction. The water that Jesus provides us, that water is never going to run dry. It's going to last for all of eternity. And the water that Jesus offers us, living water, is the water that we truly need. It's the water that we long for. It's the water that will ultimately satisfy us. But even at this point in the conversation, this woman still doesn't get it. Look at verse 15. The woman said to him, sir... Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. She's saying, okay, you've got some water that's going to quench my thirst eternally. You've got some water that that I need. I want it. I'm no longer going to have to to, to have this walk of shame at noon and, and have to be ostracized by my peers. I can have this physical water at my house. I don't have to go anywhere. She asks for spiritual, a physical water when she needs spiritual water. And Jesus knows this, and so, so he presses on to point out her eternal need. And we learn again that Jesus offers this water to imperfect people. Not only is this woman from Samaria, but this woman is a shamed woman. And we begin to find out what her shame is in verse 16. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. You see, this woman is not only a Samaritan, but this woman is a shame woman. She's had five husbands. The the woman, the man that she's living with now is not even her husband. The remarkable thing is is that, that Jesus doesn't let any of this stuff get in his way. Jesus goes and he seeks out this Samaritan shamed woman who has had five husbands who is living with the man now. He doesn't allow this to get in his way. He engages her in conversation and he offers her 
Not just physical life, but he offers her eternal life. He offers her living water. And Jesus is able to provide her. Jesus is able to provide us this because of what he has done for us. As the narrative continues, she brings up the idea of worship. She brings this up in an effort to once again kind of move the conversation off of her. You see, Jesus is going at her heart. Jesus is beginning to press deep into her. It's not just about her being a Samaritan now. It's about where her values are. It's about where her desires are. It's about where her want are. And that's where we've got to go. It can't just be about the externals. It's got to be about the internal. Really, it's this heart issue. And Jesus begins to dig into her heart starting in verse 19. He says, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You see, this woman tries to change the subject. She appeals to this long-standing debate between the Jews and the Samaritans about where the place it is that they are supposed to worship. Whether it's to worship in Jerusalem, it's supposed to worship on Mount Gerizim. She says, this guy's clearly a prophet. Maybe he has an answer for me. I think she's also trying to change the subject. And Jesus says, look, none of that stuff matters. None of that stuff matters now because... Because my hour is coming. A time when when all of this stuff, these external worship, is going to be done away with. Things are changing. And things are changing right now. The hour that Jesus is talking about is the hour of his sacrifice. The hour when he goes to the cross. We'll see this consistently come up as we walk through the Gospel of John. The fact that Jesus' hour is coming. And then eventually we'll get to the fact where his hour has come. And he goes to the cross for us. And it's there on the cross where his shame and his guilt, our shame and our guilt are placed on Jesus. And he pays the penalty that we owe. He pays the penalty so that we might have a relationship with the Father. And he is able to do this. He is able to offer us this relationship because he is the perfect lamb of God. He is the perfect sacrifice. He's able to mend this relationship that was severed in the garden in Genesis in the fall. Because of our connection with Jesus, we are finally able to do what we have been designed to do. We are finally able to worship God. And when he says that we are to worship God in spirit and truth, he means that with the spirit portion that we are to worship God with our whole being. He says, look, it's not about the externals. It's not about which temple you go to. It's not about which ritual rites that you go through. It's not about what church you go to. It's not about what you do externally. It's about your heart. It's about you giving your whole self to Jesus. That's what it's about. And so if we're here, we're holding Jesus at arm's length and we're saying, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I believe Jesus is my savior, but I'm not really willing to follow him. I'm not really willing to give my life to him. Then we're not worshiping Jesus in spirit. You cannot hold Jesus at arm's length. You must be a follower of Jesus. You must be a true disciple of Jesus if you're gonna worship him. And that requires you to give your whole self to him. 
to give everything to Jesus, to allow him to control every aspect of your life. You can't hold on to one part of your life. You can't say, you can have all of this, Jesus, but I'm gonna hold on to this and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this my own way. You can't say that. You have to give everything to Jesus. We have to worship him with our whole being and we have to worship him in truth as well. You see, Jesus is God's truth. He is the true Messiah. He is the one who was planned before the foundations of the world. He is the one that God is talking about in Genesis 3.15 when he says, I am going to send a seed who will crush the head of the serpent. He is the one that God promised Abraham who would come through him when he made a covenant with him. He says, through him, you will be a blessing to the whole world. He is the one who is going to sit on the eternal throne of David when God covenants with David that he will have a king sit there forever. Jesus is plan A. Jesus is not plan B. Jesus is always going to be the Messiah and has always been the Messiah. He is always God's plan. He is God's truth. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And that is the only way So that we must worship the Father in spirit and truth. With our whole being, we must worship Him. Through Jesus, we must worship Him. We must have a connection with Jesus as we believe in Him as our Lord and as our Savior. And all those who believe in Jesus as the Messiah will experience the eternal living water. The woman said to Him in verse 25, I know that the Messiah is coming. He is called Christ. So she begins to see, is this the Christ? And then 26, or continuing, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And then Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I am the Christ. I am the one that you've been waiting for. Even just because they had the Pentateuch, just because only, even though they only had the Pentateuch, excuse me, the first five books of the Bible, they knew The Samaritans knew that there was a promised Christ who was coming. And Jesus says, I am that one. I am the promised Christ. And I am here. And you know what? This woman believes. She sees Jesus as the Christ. And we know that she believes, verse 28. And so the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, come. See a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and they were coming to him. The woman believed. And we know that the woman believed because she went and told other people that this was the Christ. She began to present the gospel to other people. She began to call other people to come and to see Christ for who he is. To recognize that he is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And we see what happened in verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. And then in verse 41, when they heard Jesus themselves, and many more believed because of his word, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Isn't this remarkable? Jesus pursues a broken, shamed woman 
who's coming to the well at noon to avoid everybody else. He pursues her with the gospel. He pursues her with the truth. He offers her living water. And she believes. And she goes and tells the town. And many in the town believe. Many in the town are saved. Isn't this remarkable? The gospel knows no bounds. It's not just for the... the religious insider. It's not just for the elite. It's not just for the Jews. It's not just for those who are put together. It is for all of us. It is for those who are broken. It is for those who are guilty. It is for those who are marginalized. It is for those who have been shamed. And you know what? That is every single one of our stories. And we must be willing to admit that. We must be willing to admit that we are broken, that we have been shamed, that we carry guilt, that we are marginalized. We must be willing to admit that. It's every single one of our stories. And if we're not willing to admit that, then we are not going to experience the living water because we're going to continue to think that we can do it on our own. We can continue to think that we can do it through who we are and what we have become and and what it is that we have to offer God. But we have nothing to offer God. We are all guilty. We all stand before Him guilty. But Jesus says, I am going to give you living water. I am here to offer that to you. There are no perfect people in the kingdom of heaven. Only those who have been made righteous by the perfect Lamb of God. Jesus can provide you with living water. He can meet your deepest need. Won't you admit your imperfections? Won't you allow Jesus to captivate you today? Won't you come and drink of this living water so that you will never thirst again? The gospel is for imperfect people. Is that you? Will Jesus be the one who would satisfy your deepest longings or will you continue to look and search for something else? Come drink of the living water this morning and never thirst again.